This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. This is a timely episode. We're once again diving into a conversation about political military separation, this time with regard to speech and precisely how to identify political speech and actions. Dr. Yovana Davidovich is a professor of philosophy at the University of Iowa with an appointment at the law school of the University of Iowa. She is a fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. Welcome, Dr. Davinovich. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. We've got a lot of things happening on the world stage right now uh, that frankly touch on something that we've talked about in these episodes, and that is being a political speaker or a partisan speaker while you're a leader in the military. So I wonder if you can take a moment right now and talk about the landscape worldwide, the state of political military affairs, at least in recent history. Yeah. So so, so we're all very much aware of the importance of healthy political military sort of relationship for security. Um, the consequences of having a military that is partisan can be devastating, as history has shown us repeatedly. Um, and, and this is probably why there has been a slow but consistent turn, I think, across the globe to increase professionalism in the military, and as well as an attempt at depoliticizing the military. Now, I don't want to overstress this point, of course. Um, so, so consider China, for example. While in the last 20 years, the People's Liberation Army has increased in professionalism, and while the PLA has played a reduced role in uh, politics, this has come hand in hand with uh, formalizing by the Chinese Communist Party uh, their control over the PLA. So, in fact, in 2017, China amended the party charter to state that all military forces in China were accountable and loyal to the CMC chairman, which is, of course, currently President Xi. So something similar, for example, we've seen happening in places like Philippines, where historically military has exerted significant influence over civilian leadership. In recent history, the Philippine military has limited their sort of interventionist tendency in civilian affairs. Now, of course, there are absolutely clear exceptions to this trend. The, the Myanmar 2021 coup, uh, military coup, and the increased reliance in the military and the military influence in Indonesian uh, politics are two examples of increased military influence on politics. But it sounds like across the, across the globe, there's been the strengthening of civilian leadership or civilian control over the military with some exception. So let me focus here on the U.S. military, or maybe I'll just expand that a little bit, militaries in the Western alliance, so to speak. I mean, a few years ago, we had the chairman of the Joint Chiefs publicly stating that he made a mistake in what might have been perceived as a uh, as a political statement. Very recently, we had a vice admiral in Germany state some things. What does it mean for the military to stay out of partisan politics? So for the, in the U.S., at least, the, the political neutrality rules uh, are set out in the Uniform Code of Military Justice and the DOD Directive, the DOD Directive 1344-10. And so what the DOD defines political activity as is, and I'm quoting here, 
activities supporting or relating to candidates representing or issues specifically identified with, let me repeat that, issues specifically identified with national or state political parties and associated uh, or auxiliary organizations. And in fact, each branch of the military also has similarly stated political neutrality rules. So for example, the Air Force instructions say, and again, I'm quoting, members on active duty cannot participate in any radio, television, or other program or group discussion as an advocate of a and I want to stress this, partisan political party or candidate. So simply put, the military is expected to not comment on partisan issues. Let me ask you this then, and we know what the military can't do. What can a military member do? So as I said, political neutrality rules do prohibit all kinds of political engagement, but it, they don't prohibit all political engagement. So members can, uh, members on active duty can vote, obviously. They can give monetary contributions to political organizations. They can attend political meetings, sign petitions, write opinion pieces, albeit not as members of armed forces, and so on. What they cannot do is run for office. They can't make public speeches. They can't participate in partisan political management or campaign, and they can't disparage the office of president, vice president, or Congress. So you've written some papers on on this subject matter, and we're really into the meat of it now. Why is political neutrality valuable to the military? So the political neutrality has been seen as valuable for close to a century, if not longer, by the U.S. military at least. And it's been seen as a way to prevent politics from dividing troops from within and separating the military from the society it serves. The political neutrality is is seen as, simply put, promoting troop cohesion, promoting troop morale on one hand. So it's about how troops interact with one another. And on the other, it's really important for building and strengthening the civil-military relationship. And in fact, regarding the, the troop cohesion and morale, Think about what would happen to a, a troop if, uh, to a set of troops, if, for example, people were very vocal, if their leadership was very vocal about their political views. It's really necessary for effective authority by military leadership that uh, they're not vocal about their beliefs because it's going to be it would be harder for our troops and they would be less likely to follow their officers if they saw them as partisan or if they suspected them of acting uh, in political interests. Relatedly, regarding the relationship between the military and the society, a nonpartisan military is seen as essential in establishing and maintaining the public's trust. Uh, in fact, despite the, the declining trust in, in government institutions, nearly 83% of American adults have very high confidence and trust in the military. And that might be, uh, I dare say, it is likely part, partly due to political neutrality. Okay, but here's, here's a tough question then. What does that neutrality require? Does it mean that the military has to stay quiet? I mean, there's some issues that, that military leaders need to speak up on, right? You're absolutely right. I mean, this is exactly where the difficulty with these rules uh, is, at least in my opinion. As it stands, the rules of political neutrality are stated in such a way that the military leadership ought to, in public at least, stay out of things that are partisan. But it can it really be the case that, that these rules require, for example, silence on issues such as torture, targeting civilians, uh, racial injustice? Uh, we all remember, for example, when then-President Trump uh, discussed the and suggested the use of torture uh, or suggested targeting civilian families of terrorists or suggested attacking cultural sites in Iran. 
the rules we, we currently rely on, again, as they're stated, rely really heavily on the notion of what is, what is a partisan issue. And then there's a recommendation that if it is a partisan issue, if this issue is associated with a party or seen as a partisan issue, one ought to stay out of it. Now, you're saying that we're relying too heavily on the notion of partisan issues. What's that mean? I mean, rules governing political speech should, I think, instead rely on the content of speech. Uh, it's, it's not terribly useful at this day and age, given that what, what counts as partisan constantly changes. It doesn't seem terribly useful to say, look out into the world to a military leader, look out into the world, figure out what is a political or a partisan issue, and then stay away from that. Instead, I think it would be more helpful to have rules that govern political speech rely on content to some extent. And, you know, the perception that a public condemnation of, let's say, genocide, torture, racism is partisan should be overridden by the fact that speaking up against violations of human rights actually promotes the very aims that underpin and justify political neutrality rules. So in sum, what do you suggest here? I think that the military leadership needs to be proactive in establishing norms that are in force, that when it comes to race relations, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to use in valor rules, like rules against torture, rules against targeting civilians, and so on. I think it's incredibly important that military leadership has certain topics that they not only feel comfortable to speak about, but actually feel obligated to speak about in public or to the public when speaking about those issues serves all of those same aims that we originally discussed. So if you remember, the political neutrality rules aim at troop cohesion, aim at troop morale, and they aim at a strong civil military relationship. Speaking up against racism, speaking up against torture, speaking up against targeting civilians clearly serves those aims better than just sort of staying out of it. And if I heard you right, when you don't speak up about those issues, that may be considered a violation, my words, of this partisan political issue, right? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that the harm, I mean, the reason you would not only want to maybe speak up against these things as, as a military leader, but you ought to, it's because if you don't, the silence speaks just as loud. If you remember after uh, the murder of George Floyd, the military leadership sort of stayed out of it for well over a week, partly because of the influence of political neutrality rules, partly because of the influence of then Secretary of Defense. But it took a long time for the military leadership to speak up, and that was truly necessary for troop cohesion and troop morale, as well as the trust of the civilian population in the military. And once they did, luckily they spoke clearly and loudly, and that, I think, played a significant role for all these aims. Professor Yovana Davidovich, thank you for joining us on Radio Stockdale. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 